And welcome to the Glacially Musical Podcast, where it is, of course, beer, metal, swearing, also vinyl. I am Nick Cameron. I am once again, as always, mostly, typically, routinely, joined by Kyorio Sentai Zoo Ranger Chakas. How are we doing today, buddy? Yo, what's up? Uh, I am uh, going to crack open a beer because that's what we do here. This would be a second shift brewing little big hop. Anybody who was paying attention knows I drank a second shift brewing last year, last time, last year, last week. Everything seems like a year in the pandemic times, doesn't it? Uh, another unfiltered, but this is a session IPA. Once again, the art done by my friend Kyle Scarborough, amazing tattoo artist here in St. Louis. If he has a website or an Instagram, you can link that in the description of the pod. I'm happy to promote that guy. I do, he does yeah, have those on, things. Is he on Twitter? We could tag him. He's on something. I'll tag him somewhere. He's on something. <laughs> that would that's gonna come into play in a few minutes. He's on something. Anyway, oh, how are we doing today, buddy? Beer. Oh, I mean, I'm you know I'm living the dream, brother. I'm living the dream. I get to talk about music. I interviewed a band today. I saw my second or third favorite band ever the other night, Tool. Life could be so much worse. It's okay. Um, I have a Lagunitas Hazy Wonder IPA featuring Sabro, Cashmere, Citra, and Comet Hops. Um, there's an interesting forlorn dog on this can. I'm not familiar with any of those hops, which makes it uh, concerning. Oh, no. Um, well, you know, I know Lagunitas is a brand you like. and I, I do love me some Lagunitas. The Lagunitas IPA is fucking delicious. I had some decent ones. So I'm going to crank this puppy. Literally with a puppy oh, on the cover. And that was a good pop. That was a good was, pop. That was a good pop. Large cans are good for the... Yeah, that's what... Uh, how many ounces is that? that? That's more than a pint. Sure, is yeah. that 19? It might be. They're all about that size. They come... They all come in that kind of same denomination. Again, these are still the record store shopping day beers. So nice. Like maybe two and a half, three weeks. So almost out. If, if you don't mind, let me hit my vinyl check because I've got a good one this week, actually. A good beer, too. Go ahead. Uh, on Thursday, working from home, doing my thing, getting ready for lunch, waiting for my IKEA delivery to show up. It was a refrigerator and a microwave, in case anybody's curious, for our rental space. And Catch a apologies for that awkward pause. My wife required a little bit of assistance. She just got home. Lots of stuff. Anyway, where was I? Oh, yeah, I was about to bum everybody out. So on Thursday, doing my work from home, waiting for the, all the business, and I get a text from my second cousin, my cousin's daughter, letting me know that my aunt had just died. She died that morning. So, you know, with most families, especially families like mine, we've got a very complex relationship, but I loved my aunt. I love my uncle. And in the times where, when I had nowhere to go, she always took me in. So, took the rest of the day off and I thought, okay, I'm going to go to Ikea and I'm going to go to a record store and clear my head. So I went to music record space, which is on locust right next to an amazing venue called red flag. So 
You, when you see Dragon Force, Jerry Rotten, Imbeciles, or Cannibal Corpse, you can pick up a couple of records at the store before you do. And as I went in, they have beer now. They have a little bar in there. And I didn't get one because I, I don't know why, but I didn't. And it's only Urban Chestnut Brewing, which is right up the street from them. Urban Chestnut makes my favorite beer, the STL IPA or the Stalipa, as they call it. So totally recommend that to everybody. But I was in there and I was flipping, doing my flippity flops. They had a copy of the 2016 reissue of Kill 'Em All. I thought, you know what? I don't have it. I've come across this some bitch in the wild so many times. It was a good price, reasonable, 20 bucks. Grabbed it. But they also had, and I couldn't walk away without this one, Merciful Fate, Return of the Vampire, the B-Sides and Rarities LP, where half of the songs are really kind of awful. Especially the one about Leave My Soul Alone, if you pay attention. I mean, King Diamond is always lauded as an amazing lyricist and he just fucked the pig on this one um i gotta get away leaving my soul alone i killed a friend for making love to my girl i don't know man maybe you could have brought some demons in there if we're gonna do leave my soul alone i don't know that cops are going after your soul when you're on the run for murder uh, it, it is what it is but the versions of a corpse without soul and return of the vampire are just classic amazing tunes so and my merciful fate collection up to that point was simply melissa so i had to buy that uh i then checked like these little boxes in front of them and i'm like oh if there's any one thing there i'll grab it and then of course right there they've got the door strange days acdc highway to hell and i'm like you motherfucker uh, there's too many here i can't pick one so i'm just going to walk away from this because okay. I need all of those. I'm still missing uh, the door of self-titled and Strange Days, which had to complete the collection. What were but, the prices like on those? Uh, Ten bucks. Oh fuck. Yeah, I, I, I'm angry that I didn't go there first, but I'm also happy I didn't go there first because I feel like Highway to Hell is probably going to be a lot more easy, a lot easier to find than say Merciful Fate: Return of the Vampire. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's my opinion. So I'm, I, I just went. Fine. Okay. Whatever. Uh, and then my copy of uh, Forever Autumn's album that I bought showed up. Acoustic doom death metal. Amazing stuff. Definitely check her out. Her band for uh, I can't pronounce her last name, so I apologize, Autumn. But the band is Forever Autumn. Uh, my copy of I Fight Dragons. What do they call this thing? Side Quest. B sides and rarities, which is a double LP. I am a Patreon member. Uh, showed up in the mail today and yesterday reload came back into stock at metallica.com it said out of stock and in stock at the same time so i bought that too because if you look at reload on discogs or ebay it's 60 plus all of the american copies on discogs are in fucking europe and I'm like, why are you, f what, what, no. So Metallica got it, bought it from them. Uh, I am now completely caught up on the Metallica catalog for everything I'm going to buy. I'm not buying anything else. The only two I don't have are the Black Album and St. Anger. And I just 
in terms of studio, I also don't have SM, but I think the first SM is abject crap. The second one, truly amazing art. The first one, totally fucked up. I think the second we discussed this on the pod, so I don't have to go into it. No, we didn't. We discussed it on the Instagram live. That's right. I think the second S and M is actually quite good and a much better job than the first S and M. And it's no disrespect to anybody, but they just did a better job. And the fir- that James was like falling apart at this time, by the way, and he still. Well, I mean, he was falling apart at the first time too. So. I guess. I guess. That was only a year before he went into rehab. Oh. Okay. I mean, he was on the verge of rehab. I think rehab at any time is not a good time for you. But well, that is true. Rehab in your 30s and 40s is a lot different than rehab in your 50s, almost 60s. Probably true. Probably true. But that is my vinyl check. So That's a great vinyl check, though. Hold trying on. to think if I've got any. I don't think yeah, I have anything yeah, else going on. You have hardwired, right? You have hardwired on vinyl. Yeah, I got hardwired. I, I actually, and I talked about this on the, the Department of Mental Antiquities, my anger at Lulu my original anger at Lulu made me not pre-order it right away. So it took me a while to finally sit down and go, what the fuck? This is Metallica. Uh, but I actually ended up purchasing three copies of it because I bought, I got two copies with my two seats to the show. So I got three. I'm on the hook for three. And that was vinyl, not CD. I got them on, no, the two were CD. I do have it on vinyl. I pre-ordered vinyl. The double CD to everybody. It was genius because that counted for toward their sales. They're very smart guys. Very smart. Nobody's smarter. Um, Nobody is smarter. I'm going to say again, this beer is freaking great. I'm enjoying it, and I probably will buy a six-pack of this next. Very cool. Um, Uh, Real real quick, let's do a quick news minute. Uh, I was going to say I don't have a vinyl check this week. Thanks for skipping me. But I don't have one. I'm sorry. You told me that, so I – okay. And so – well, I mean, just don't skip me. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Gosh. Uh, My beer's not even clear. What do you want? I don't have one. I do have a story to tell, but I'll let you now do your news thing. I've only got one thing to do in the news minutes. We're not even going to get to a minute. But the big news this week is Iron Maiden may be performing Senjutsu front to back on a, not the current tour because they're finishing up Legacy of the Beast. And then the next tour is going to be the Senjutsu tour. Personally, I read that and I went, oh my God, I just filled the cup. I love Senjutsu. I think Senjutsu is an amazing Latter Days Iron Maiden record. It's it's not going to have the power of those early records when they were young and angry and, and ready to go. This is a calmer, more genteel Iron Maiden, but I absolutely love the album. I agree. I think it's fantastic. I think it uh, definitely would lend itself to a wonderful full stage production the agreed last time iron maiden did this it did not go well the last time they did it was a matter of life and death and that album sucks that album is not great and they didn't and they came out and played that album and left i don't believe oh. they played anything else so i'm gonna implore iron maiden it is it is a lengthy piece of music but if you don't do at least like an encore with some of the hits people are gonna be mad well, it's a 90, it's, it's a just shy of 90 minute record with, you know, Bruce, let me hear you scream for me. How you doing? Blank city. You're looking at probably a hundred minutes. Uh, we're going to need another 25 after that. At least or 40, um, which again, can they do it at this age? They're in their I, six, I mean, we're talking mid sixties. I think the layoff is going to help older bands be more rejuvenated and, you know, regenerated their bodies and stuff. But like, 
And I'm not doubting them. Obviously, really, we're not counting Yannick, who doesn't play at all. He's just jumping around out there. As I've said multiple times, as Nick is about to spit his beer on the screen at me. But, um, anywho, I'm down for Sinjitsu Live. But first, Legacy of the Beast, please. Uh, and yeah, and they're not coming to town either way. So, well, fuck me. Yeah, well, it's time to start thinking about traveling for some Maiden. Um, I'm going to share a story that is a segue not to Iron Maiden, but I will just share. I think it's worth sharing. Two things. The big news in music this week has been like all these tours and festivals getting announced. Some have been canceled. Everything is in flux. We don't know what's going to happen. Nick and I were supposed to get together for Nick Mason in three weeks. It is not happening yet. We will find out when it's going to happen. If I had my druthers and I was a betting man, which I'm not, I would say probably summer or fall if we're lucky. I'm thinking August is probably best case. Right. Um, we'll keep it open. I'll keep it open for the opportunity to come come out there and still do this plan we have. Um, I went to a show this past weekend. I got to see Tool at the Chase Center. This is wildly coincidental. I bought tickets for the Metallica Night 1, and I was in Section 208. I got a free ticket to go to Night 2, and it was also in Section 208. I got comped a ticket from PR for Tool because I'm on their radar. They like me. Whatever. Maynard has t- texted about a review of mine, by the way. Flex. Oh. Maynard knows who I am. <laughs> um, and guess where my seat was? Section 208. Again, practically all in the same bunch of rows with the same view again. That's funny. Not complaining, but just randomly, wildly, just wildly improbable like what are the odds uh i should play if there's some kind of numbers game here probably about one in 40 play like two well no one in 200 yeah um the show was magnificent the show within the show was not magnificent and i'll explain what that means and i'll be brief uh the a tool show is not like anybody else tool does not usually play their hit songs. They usually just kind of build a set list. They build visuals around that set list. They do what kind of what what they're into doing. They do not cater to fans. They typically do not do an encore ever. This is for at least twenty years. Ever since kind of Enema, they have stopped catering to fans. They don't do what you know. They don't do DVDs or live videos. There are many online, but they don't make them official. I think they're saving that for the end of their career or when their career is over. And as you know, because Tool is Tool and Maynard is Maynard, they have a strict no cell phone, no video recording, no photography policy. They do put on an incredible visual show. And the, the real, you know, sort of their rationale is, look, we don't want people to leak the show. We want you to come to the show and feel the experience and see the experience. Maynard is in a corner on a platform in the back of the stage with no light on him in the dark. And if there's any incidental, you might catch a glimpse of him because light from the screen got on him or a a quick dash of light from the laser lights got on him. And you cannot see him. He doesn't want to be looked at. He wants to just have you hear him. Eh, fine. Um, They performed half their recent album, Fear Inoculum, the smash best-selling rock record of 2019 one of the best-selling records of that year 
and then and physically sold copies the most physical copies sold in many years by any one band that is awesome i i'm a big fan of the physical copy obviously most of those were the cd version that came with the little video screen at like 65 dollars by the way uh so they made crazy money they, they that's insane they sent they put out their album with a built-in dvd player that has a video like a built-in mp4 player that plays a visual to watch while you're listening to the record okay you know honestly that is really cool that is even cooler than what dan auerbach did on his last solo record where he released it on a track but it, to buy it on a track you had to buy the player to go with it for 85 dollars well, you love the band you don't, I don't love anybody that much no i know maybe i do though but um so tool they play a great show, like half their new album, including a uh, second time ever through uh, one song that's kind of like a kumbaya acoustic song, acoustic-ish song. They played sober for the first time on the tour. They never play sober. They don't play it. Really? And they and they rarely play it. I know it's their biggest song. They're really not that band anymore, and that's the thing. I think they just they're trying to not be the band that was undertow. They are a completely different sounding band now. I do love the fact they're playing that much of the new record because you totally should. And then on your next tour, you should play one or two from that record. Yeah, well, we'll see. I mean, I, every every tool show kind of feels like Metallica it. looking at you. Every tool show kind of feels like they're going away someday, like soon. <laughs> I, I just feel like they are very unstable. Well, you know, we already had the drummer just get arrested for fucking with the TSA. Don't come to the airport drunk. Go to the airport, go through security, then get drunk. That's the order of operations. They have plenty of bars there. It's it's fine. Yeah. Um, they got your swill, they got your whiskey, they got your craft. They got you. Probably has a lifetime supply of peyote or dr- great drugs. Like, he doesn't need to drink. But anyway, here's the thing I wanted to talk about. You can read the rest of my review. But there was a show within the show. I don't know why, but me and my show buddy were surrounded by a preponderance of maniacs and assholes the entire show. It took me out of the show and almost ruined the show for me. And if it was any other band but Tool or a band in my top five, I probably would have left. And I won't go into all the gory details, but I will say this. I posted a thing on Twitter. Here's the checklist from the show. I witnessed a drug deal, including a sample bump off the back of a phone case and a buy on Venmo for $120 for a handful of baggies. Who knows what was in them? Uh, Happy powder. A girl dancing like Elaine Bennis who did not shut up the entire show. I don't know if you know this about me. I talk more than any other human being alive. And when I tell you this chick annoyed me by talking too much, I'm talking a lot. The whole time. Shut the fuck up and watch the show. I even I was like, bitch, shut up. And I'm apologize. I don't refer to women that way, but she literally would not shut up. Um, a row of hooligans came in front of us, and they were being kind of louts. But I'm like, okay, it's a concert. They're going to be louts. Then they leave, stumble bumming their way out, and another row of guys comes in, and this giant dude is like six nine, and he's like teetering, like he's going to fall on us. And he's blocking my view, also, partially. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to not say anything to him. He's tuned up, and he's obviously going to fucking faint soon. So I'm going to just shut up for one song and see if he stands, stays standing. And then they were playing The Grudge, and he was, like, rocking out. And I was like, I don't want to fuck up anybody's good time. When did I become this grandpa angry guy? But okay. Then he literally falls, passes out and falls, face flirt, face plants, two rows of people, 
into the upper deck glass that's preventing you from falling into the next section lower. Like when, when Thetis fell down in Clash of the Titans. Yes. Smacked his head into the glass with a thunk during a concert, and you heard it. I just made the sound effect. But he literally thunked, fell down forward, landed on his bum, and his head smacked the glass. Like as a ricochet, like a boom. And then he was knocked out. A bunch of people, uh, my jaw's on the floor, a bunch of people resurrected him, pulled him back up into his seat. He's like holding his head. Then he does the drugs and buys the drugs. And then he's raging again. Ah! And that's just part of it. That's not even all of it. And I was like, holy fuck, this is really upsetting. And like, I was like, I, I don't know, I don't want to be that grandpa... You, you know, if your good time ruins someone else's good time, you're a piece of shit. I'm sorry. Correct. You should be able to have as a wild and funky a time as you want to. Without, without landing fucking, on people. Without hurting someone else's good time. Without landing on people. Without without passing out. That guy left the show and left his phone and coat box. Oh, my Lord. Oh, Keefe has gone, dealer, Keefe gone straight out. Bronx. Come on, man. Without. Without, without hurting nobody. Come on. Come on, man. That, that guy left his coat and phone, and the drug dealer got his coat and phone. Anyway, nice. uh, the show was marvelous, and uh, you can read about it at ghostcoldmag.com if you want to. Shameless plug. I Definitely check it out. I'm now vented and got that out of my system. I've remembered now I did have a second news story in my news minute. We briefly touched on this last week. Uh, Kiss has announced, and I, I'm presently wearing an Ace Fraley solo tour T-shirt that I picked up in Kansas City, Missouri, on the first time I ever saw him. So big KISS fan here. Seriously. Love him. Really do. No matter what people on the KISS forum might say about me. But here, moving forward, they have announced their second off the soundboard series. The first one was KISS on the farewell, first farewell tour, not the current farewell tour, with Eric Singer on drums, which was a lineup that lasted about six weeks because Peter held out for more money and they said, fuck you. Which is wrong. But it made it interesting because it was a lineup that was never recorded and never had a release. Yes. Okay. Until and it's actually a pretty damn good show. I really like that one. The current one is one of the shows they used for the DVD Rock the Nation. So it's a Tommy Thayer, Eric Singer lineup, which is a lineup we've gotten two or three live albums from already. And there's only two songs on the entire record that are not on another live album. And the two songs that are on there are Bruce Kulip tunes that Tommy Thayer can't play. Oh, please tell me it's not Unholy and like Domino. No, it's uh, Tears Are Falling and something else, which oh. Tears Are Falling is Bruce Kulip's finest moment as a guitar player, in my humble opinion. That's fair. And, it's, and I'm just looking at that going... You're not gonna. You're not pulling sixty bucks off me for this. I'm. I'm not. I'm out. I'm. I'm passing on this one. But the problem with this, as I see it, this is number two. The 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 sales of the first one was a little disappointing, and so now this is number two. And everybody could have this already if they wanted to. Good luck. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're you're going down that road without this guy. Yeah, I uh, I really I understand that everything is a cash machine, everything is an ATM to Kiss, and I have been on the Kiss 
we're at Magic Carpet since I'm four years old or three years old. Same. And I love Kiss more than you can possibly imagine, but I will be really happy if I outlive Kiss as a band. And I really hope they don't continue when this tour is over. I don't think I don't mind the Kiss cruises. I think that's a great idea. They sound like a banging time. I would love to go when it's safe to go back on a cruise. If it has ever been safe to go back on a cruise, I'm not sure, but like I would really like to go. I've never been on 70 tons of metal. I would also like to go on that cruise. But um, it also seems like a floating petri dish in the in the, in the ocean. But like in, in the best of days, there's no way in hell you could get me on that. Kiss, but please just fucking stop. Just stop. what what concerns me about this is. They've already gone to the the modern day lineup on the second of the the editions. I would argue that they're probably staying away from the Vinnie Vincent years because of the litigious nature of of that particular gent. I don't want to support him financially. I I was really hoping personally for a Hot in the Shade rendition. Even had they done the one they did a DVD of, I still would have bought it. Are they still doing like Heavens on Fire and Lick It Up still too? With the yeah, with, with he, Paul lip syncs. Yeah, because he can't sing those notes. They're just correct. Like, he can't. No, he can't sing any notes. He can sing. Bah! Yeah, don't do that again. I won't, and, and Paul shouldn't. But that's why he lip syncs now. He's been lip syncing for three years. Yeah, it's just, it's a shame. Um, it is a shame. And I also want to say I don't delight in these things. I love Kiss, and I will probably. I don't delight in these things, I but I get angry at the hypocrisy of that. I don't need to see them ever again, having seen them and enjoyed them thoroughly many times. Same. I am tempted to try to be at the last ever Kiss show at the Garden because that would be very special for me. Being in- I I wanted the last memory I had of seeing that band being a yeah. functioning band. Right. And then I saw them again when Paul couldn't sing. So I, I missed a that. a pretty good show my last time seeing Kiss. Although they came on after Rob Zombie, which was also a mistake. Because it seemed like they had half the volume of Rob Zombie as a band. And I was like, this is shameful. All right, all right. I'm no, gonna... Their guy mixes Kiss and Rob Zombie's guy will mixes Rob Zombie is what I'm referring to. I'm just going to say we have, we, we've chatted on a bit. We have gone on and on. And uh, let's not... Anyway. Heaven and hell. Okay. On and on. Okay. Oh, another news minute. Um, sorry, last thing. And then I swear to God, I'm sorry. Uh, Tony Martin announced on Facebook today that he got a phone call from Tony Iommi stating there is a record contract for the Tony Martin Black Sabbath records. That's amazing. So they will be re-releasing the Tony Martin era records. But probably if they haven't begun that already, then you're talking about two years right now. Yeah, but still, I mean, it happened. It'll happen, yeah. I I would like a copy of Headless Cross, even though it's crap. Out of curiosity, do you know, I know that he said there's a box set coming for Born Again, which, as you know, is my... One of my pinnacle records, non Ozzy, non Dio. Mm-hmm. Um, All right. Even, maybe even as much as the Dio records. I love. I got it on vinyl. I'll say that much. Is it good or no? I mean, the the copy of the vinyl is what I'm asking. I have an OG copy. It's just, you have an OG copy. It's the only copy that exists, as far as I know. Okay. Yeah, I'm hoping for. Yeah. All right. Shall we? Yes. Continue our series on Faith No More. I think. Which. We... Go ahead. You. Uh. I was going to say, we decided at the beginning of this, before we hit record, that we have decided to expand Faith No More into five 
monstrous metal weeks of whatever the hell they are at this point. And this is week four as we record it. So we got one more after this. Yes. So let's talk about the chaos and clusterfuck of Al- or, uh, King for a Day, Fool for a Lifetime. For Let me start off with, I listened to this about twice, never all the way through at one time, doing the best I can for everybody on these. When I listen to these things on YouTube, I do not get the full experience because it is on YouTube. It is not listening to it, I, even on CD where I get the, the two channels. So I'm doing the best I can with what I got. And so it starts off with Jim Martin. Before. Oh, even before. Go ahead. Oh, hang on. Let me say this. This has nothing to do with anything. Uh, all of my interaction with this album is the fact that the, the second singer in my band had this T-shirt. Very well. It's great. That's the entirety of my the before artwork, this week. The artwork is marvelous. Okay. It comes from a graphic novel. I know. Uh, was pretty banging in the 90s and uh, Patton was a big fan. It was very 90s I'll say that much. Eric Drucker is the illustrator and he did the film Howl uh, which is all anim- mostly animated or has some animation in it and uh, he went to Cooper Union in New York and he's done. He also, I think he also did Rage Against the Machine um, I'm gonna say Battle of Los Angeles, possibly. Um, so before we go on to King for a Day, we're going to just quickly touch on the space between Angel Dust and King for a Day. And what is the key feature that happens to the band in this time? Jim is relieved of his spot in the band after a long tour. Angel Dust blows up and the band yes. ascends to become... They go from opening for Metallica and Guns N' Roses to becoming a legit festival, top-of-the-bill band, maybe not a true headliner as they are now but like almost as in some cases they were headlining festivals um they were taking over the world in their own little way in the worst case of looking at this they're in the stratosphere they just haven't breached the orbit yet yes and so they're ascending but i mean you can't overstate what that out what angel dust did that album took them from those wacky nut bars that were a bit of a joke to your average metal fan to superstardom. Right. Or at least the, the, the beginnings of. And so, yeah, I, you know, they're, they're ascending. And so, but one, you know, things, there's trouble. And there was always trouble, as we've said multiple times, there's trouble with Jim. And the trouble with Jim is Jim is just not getting... Jim. Jim is not getting his music out in the band anymore. Not just a question of songs, but just like he's just very dissatisfied. The band is really going very, you know, Mike has now asserted himself as a writer and a director of things. Um, And even when the major holy trinity of Billy, Roddy, and Puffy write together, um, they're now writing for Mike and not really thinking about Jim. And Jim's an afterthought, and Jim is very unhappy. And starts to kind of jake it live and mail in the performances and fuck up on purpose and overplay like a child. Which is, you know, not a good thing. He pulled a Peter Chris. He pulled a Peter Chris. Full I'm, Peter Chris. Not I'm even a partial. Start, I'm going to start sucking until you pay attention to me, you bitches. And this is what happens. And so he is fired by fax machine. 
Uh, I believe Sly Stallone dumped Angie Everhart by fax. And Jim Martin was fired from Faith and More with a fax from their lawyers. <sighs> Unceremonious and not worthy of the greatness that this guy participated and put down in the band. But also, it was coming for a long time. So this is a big disappointment. There is a legion of Jim fans who abandoned the band at this point and don't even consider them to this day without Jim. And our illustrious co-host, Nick, is one of those people. One of them. Even, one of them. Not even hiding it. No, no, I, I always glom on to the lead guitar player in a band. That's just where that's just where my heart always lies. And what I didn't know about this album was that Roddy Bottom almost wasn't even on it. Well, we're almost there. Oh, sorry. So there's one more domino step on the way to King for a Day, and that is the band is contacted by former manager of Cypress Hill, Happy Walters, who's a music industry guy name you might have heard. He now runs a sports agency. He's out of the music business. But he saw Cypress Hill open for Pearl Jam, and he was like, fans of this thing, people like <sighs> fans. And so... I'm sorry, I know right where we're going, and I apologize for fucking it up and fucking it up a second time now. I didn't warn you. You didn't know what I was doing. No, I didn't know. I realize now. I'm sorry. I have three times. I'm you don't have to apologize. You're good, bro. And so, what is the birth of this uh, horrid baby? The Judgment Night soundtrack. One of the best-selling movie soundtracks ever, including the 1990s, which has The Crow and The Bodyguard and Unbelievable Evita. I'm counting all those. This is a million-selling soundtrack. It was even done as a Record Store Day release in 2020. It is now a Record Store Day release. Had it in my hand and went, no, I meant to buy it for like years because rap rock in 1993, rap rap metal was the future. You had Onyx and Biohazard doing a version of Slam that was amazing. And then all of a sudden, no. Well, yeah, um, this record's incredible. I can't recommend Judgment Night enough. And for this soundtrack, the band, by the way, Faith and More. So Faith and More, it's like interesting. Mike is an, an excellent rapper. And he will rap on occasion throughout their career. And he'll do some spoken word stuff that kind of is rappy. And he obviously deeply loves hip hop. But also he doesn't want to be thought of as a rap metal guy. He hates that idea and moniker. So much so that's also part of their feud with the Chili Peppers. Whereas like Kiedis is still like a really not great singer, but he kind of raps good. And then Patton is a very good rapper. It's kind of similar to Chino Moreno of the Deftones. He is a great rapper. He doesn't want to be thought of as one. He's just like, this is going to take away from me as a singer and a lyricist and a vocalist. So the band was already thinking about doing their own full-on rap metal song at this time and had become fans of the band Booyah Tribe. I believe they are from Samoa. Not remotely familiar. And they sound like, uh, you know, they do kind of a G-funk rap metal. Originally, they're from Carson, California, but they're, you know, descendants of uh, Hawaiian Samoa, I believe. Forgive me if that's wrong. My geography's not that good. They basically sound like four Chuck D's. They got a BC voice, and that's how they sound, and it's all gangster shit, right? Especially like Onyx. The Chronic, Onyx, Tupac, pre-Biggie, gangster rap. And they're already fans. 
So they get approached by Happy Walters. Hey, would you like to do a song on the Judgment Night soundtrack? And they were like, would we? We've been doing rap metal stuff longer than anybody or, you know, whatever, rap rock. So they write Shout out to Propane. Propane is awesome. Um, I really would love to see them again someday. They were on the verge of touring, and then their singer was, like, stabbed and robbed in Europe a couple of years ago. And he Holy shit. I did not mean to bring that up. Gary Meskill. Yeah, well, we're talking about some street shit. So <laughs> the song that is created by Faith No More and Booyah Tribe is Another Body Murdered with the like, great video, which has scenes from the Judgment Night movie in it, which the movie is not that good, by the way. The soundtrack is incredible. Again, as you mentioned, Biohazard, Biohazard and Onyx, Pearl Jam and Cypress Hill, Pearl Jam and Sonic Youth. And I thought Another Body Murdered was Ice-T and Slayer. Slayer and Ice-T is a cover of the song War. It is a hardcore punk cover. And is the uh, and, and like Ice T is the only rapping person on the Judgment Night soundtrack who doesn't rap; he sings. So he's the rapper guy, but he sang on the track like a hardcore singer. Well, that was when when Body Count was just starting as well. Ninety two was when Body Count dropped. Yeah, I guess. I mean, Ice T had been doing rap metal for a long time though before Body Count. So that's me. Um, I but Body Count wasn't rap metal. Body Count was just it is just metal. Yeah, he considers it hardcore, but okay, you know, it's, well, it's whatever. And so, not rap is the point. Jim was already like, literally bowed out of doing this track. So the you know, like he was like, I have no interest in this song. He's still in the band when the song is made, and he doesn't want to do it. And so Billy writes the riffs. So like, when somebody else in your band can write a riff that's pretty damn good. And you're the guitar player in the band, and you don't want to participate. You have signed your own removal notice. That's that's even worse than a band saying we're not gonna tour. I mean, yo. So anyway, if you listen to the riffs on another body murdered, it's like, okay, dude, watch me write some guitar riffs now. And I mean, like Billy's written riffs. Roddy plays guitar. Puffy plays guitar. Patton plays guitar. Everybody, everybody. plays guitar. Yeah, everybody. But, like, they didn't need... Red Michaels plays the guitar. The thing that Jim brought to the band, beside lead playing and funky glasses and a beard, was his riffs. And if you don't need his riffs anymore, why is this guy in the band? So this song kind of sealed Jim's fate in my eyes and heart. And it is a great song. Go check it out. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but Jim did play on it. He just didn't write it. I don't think he's on the track at all. Oh, okay. I think it's all Billy, and I don't think he is on the track at all. Well, there you go. Well, you, you you fuck up concerts. You cro- you fold your arms and say no. Somebody comes in, and does your job for you just as well. Right. <sighs> you're basically yeah yeah. It's bad news for Jim all around. You're okay. basically just you're you're just you're just locking the handcuffs on your own wrists. So I'll sum this up by saying another major factor in the period of time between Angel Dust and King for a Day, is that Roddy, during the video shoot for Another Body Murdered, the band stages an intervention for Roddy because he has become a crazy, raging heroin addict. And, you know, heroin is not a drug you can quit cold turkey. Wow, a rock star in the 90s got on heroin? Right. Um, big comeback for heroin in the 90s. Double big uh, in the aughts. Yeah. So Don't do heroin. Don't ever do it. Or meth. Just don't. 
Yeah. So, you know, they, you know, Jim is out of the band and they start writing what would become King for a Day. And what happens is Roddy is dealing with rehab and he's, and his father dies and Kurt Cobain dies and Roddy and Kurt Cobain are very close because one of Roddy's best friends is Courtney Love. Still, from when she was in the band, they remain very close to this day. I love that, by the way. That yeah. that that part. He's very loyal, and they're very close. And you see, there's um some YouTube. I know a lot of people talk a lot of shit on Courtney. I'm not one of them. I'm not one. We actually had a fight about that with a coworker today. I would be very happy to do a whole series on Hole. I think they're. A I would not underrated band, but anyway, a big band that's underrated, Hole. So, anywho, Roddy's a wreck, right? Just lo- all love. I love the dude. And he's a per- he's just a wreck. Anybody would be if you lost your friend and you've been dealing with drugs and then your best friend lost her husband to suicide, you'd be fucked up. Um, there's actually f- like video of Courtney Love in L.A. after Kurt is gone, like in various states of disrepair over his loss. And Roddy's like on her arm around her and they're both weeping like it's very sad shit. Um, so they go to make the new record. And what they like, we have to get out of California to make this next record because we are not functioning as a band and we need to get away from the drugs and we need to get away from the Bay Area and just go somewhere else. And so they go to the infamous, infamous Bearsville studio in Woodstock, New York, home of many legendary classic rock and metal records. The list is lengthy. I'm not going to go into it, but just take my word for it. One world-class studio. World-class. Once again... Uh, I think they, they uh, work with Andy Wallace, who, you know, people know his work. Uh, Run DMC, Walk This Way, uh, The Cult, Prince, Bruce Springsteen, Sepultura, Nirvana, Jeff Buckley, Sonic Youth, Rage Against the Machine, Guns N' Roses, Linkin Park, Paul McCartney, and the list goes on. And, you know, they start crafting this record. And now Patton has had one record under his belt, driving the ship a little more. And now he really kind of asserts himself, I think. Well, at this point, we're looking at, we had a band, we had a band on, there's only 20% of the band starting this record that started, we can or introduce yourself. Right. They're down, they're down many members and Roddy is barely performing. He, if memory serves, he doesn't even come in till later. He comes in late in the process. He adds a couple of, Tinkly tinklies on the songs. Yeah, so this really this album is I again let me last week when we did Angel Dust, I was actually surprised at how much I liked Angel Dust and how much more there was of Jim, how much more that it reminded me of the band that you know was the first two records and i'm actually going to buy it on vinyl when i find it in the wild for a reasonable price because it's crazy on discogs but this one is i had not had any i mean like zero i had never heard anything off of this record going into this one and then finding out before i listened to it holy shit nobody's on it it's all it's as much a mr bungle record well, that's I'm as it is and a then, Faith No More record. I would, I would bring that in a little later on in hindsight, Sorry. but you're not wrong to steal my thunder. Uh, they bring in in lack of auditioning people. They didn't want to do this, so they bring in. You know, Mr. Bungle now has a couple of records out, and in their own, you know, their own Phoenix is rising. 
from a band that you know had demos out, and then Patton joins Faith No More, and then Faith No More becomes huge, and your side band becomes a decent band. Also, at this time, Bill Gould is secretly a member of Brujeria, which a lot of people did not know, but he was. And so, they bring in Trace Bruins from Bungle to be the guitar player on the album. I he does have some co-writes. And he is, you know, you can't say that he didn't make an impact on the record or that he's not important to the record. Because he is. Um, his style is not Jim's style. No. If you if you like Mr. Bungle and you know Mr. Bungle, you know, he is capable of playing a lot of different things. And he can play metal. And he can play punk. And he can play hardcore. And he can riff. He's a, he's a riff meister. I give him some dap. He can riff. Um, but Faith No More was also like, he can only, he's kind of the guy, he needs a weird band like Bungle. He's also in Secret Chiefs 3 with Trevor, with uh, Trey Dunn. So he's like Fushante then. Dunn. He is a like a Fushante, but he's also like a little heavier and even more far out than a Fushante. But okay, but he can also do a Fushante. So King for a Day starts to get formed, and it's basically Gould, Borden, and Patton because Roddy's in and out of ha- rehab and recovery. And just also mourning and grieving. His dad, his buddy, Kurt Cobain, and other things. Trey comes in and puts parts on songs. And you hear beautiful guitar work all through this album. Whoever played it. And, you know, Puffy, you know, puts down beats and contributes other things. But, like, yeah, Patton really asserted himself. He wrote most of the lyrics of the album as opposed to the land. You know, like, there's still some collaborative songs lyrically. But... You know, Patton is really coming in with whole songs. Patton is really coming in and writing with the other guys for the first time ever. But it doesn't all go well. They're they're really struggling to stay together as a band at this point. There's a car accident in which Mike is driving the car and the entire band is injured, including Mike. Drunk driving in the mountains in Woodstock, New York at one point, upstate New York. And at that point he was I, I have to get clean and sober and this is, I have to change my life choices. It's, he's never spoken more about it than that ever, but you can just put the number, you know, you can just guess what he was doing and dealing with and going through, and it just wasn't going to work. So that derailed the band for a while. But the album does get made. And it's a lengthy boy. It is 14 songs, which, you know, we, we've been doing these run-throughs, and a lot of these albums are 8, 9, 10 songs. It's like, wow, that's a lot of songs. And this is 14 songs. It is a triple-sided LP, and I can name on one hand how many triple-sided LPs I like. Including Senjutsu. And so... No, Senjutsu's a double. Yeah, I have a triple. So... Yeah, I mean, it's it's a three... No, it's a three-disc set. This is three sides. If they were to put this on vinyl properly, it would be side A, side B, side C, etched side, nothing burger D, like Robert Plant, Carry Fire. Mm. Don't don't spoil the next series. I didn't spoil anything. I Robert Plant Carry Fire is from 2017. I know. Okay. Um so women. Yeah. So they get they get they get make this record. And you know, again, this is a band whose ascendancy is high, and they've had all these records in a row, and this is their third record with Patton. So to me, it's almost like their third record as a band, but really it's like their fourth and a half record. And as as Angel Dust was very much too 
introduce yourself with still a lot of the essence of the original band. This is now like the first full-fledged record that sounds less like the original Faith No More and more like Faith No More with Patton. It's an exorcism. I, I mean, that's one way to look at it, and I'm, I'm happy to have you elaborate. I will. I don't know. I, I, this feels far less like... Now, again, I have not listened to New Faith No More in 28 years. 28 years. Uh, the last New Faith No More record I listened to, 29, was Angel Dust, which is 1990... No, 92, so 30 years. 30 years I've, I've not paid attention but Faith No More has a sound and a style that transcends either in my mind, not obviously reality, but I have this idea of what Faith No More is. It's heavy keyboard, heavy bass, liberally sprinkled guitar on top, ridiculous vocals. None of that is here. This is equal parts, a standard hard rock heavy metal album, and genre bender i don't know what it is i uh, oh and for the record sorry bur- ipas make me burpy but i can't stop uh, i am drinking a cooper's landing ipa from uh burr oak brewery i've actually had this for three weeks and i bought it for the pod and uh just now got to it so there we go but i mean this this feels a lot more like I would consider to be a Mike Patton solo record. I wouldn't go there. I think that's too far because like there's, if, there's I'm not saying I'm right. On the whole band. You're not right. I'm, I'm going to disagree. I'm gonna say that's fine. Right, but I'm going to disagree. I will say the anatomy of this record does feel like a classic bungle record without the horns and without some extra musical stuff. But it's, it's inherently a Faith No More record and we'll get into why, not just because the guys are on it, because there are Faith No More... There are there's like faith no more isms all through here, and I think what you're really getting is Mike exerting his will on the band. The band is fracturous, and they went to what each guy is comfortable with. Without Roddy, who is the glue of the band, they do what they can do, and this is what you got a hot, a little bit of a hodgepodge. I will say the best moments of this record hold up to some of the best moments of the whole band. Some of the not so best moments are just all right or less. The best moments on this album for me are the ones where Roddy's there and putting his Rick Wrightisms on top of everything. That's, like that's the the big single that we'll get to. I mean, we might as well do the track by track. I mean, might as well just yeah, take it. Yeah, because we could just belabor this thing by just going on and on. But like, correct. Is, the album does have three singles. There's also a bunch of extra tracks we're going to talk about briefly at the end. Are we? Okay. Um, I am. Uh, I did not listen to them, so I got nothing. That, they're important. I'm going to talk. Okay, about them. fair. I told you to, but then you don't want to listen on YouTube. Has them, but you don't want it. So anyway, I don't like listening on YouTube because I don't get the experience. I'm sorry. You don't do, and you don't do Spotify. I don't. It'd be the same. It would be the same thing. It'd be listening on my phone, not, not listening on my stereo. When I listen on my stereo, I have a lot more to say because I get the full, legitimate experience of listening to music. That's why I buy vinyl. That is why I buy vinyl. So I can use this fucking stereo. Stop shouting at me. Um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. In the words of Sheev Palpatine to Anakin Skywalker, to to be a wise and noble leader, you have to understand all the aspects of the Force, the dark and the light. Not just the dogmatic view of the Jedi. That's just the Jedi. 
exactly. So, starting out with the track listing. The, so the album leads off with a song completely written by Patton, music and lyrics, and it is raging. Get Out, which opens with the philosophical lyric, what if there's no more fun to have? Which, for the mid-90s, which was like, we're out of the 80s and Gen Xers, there's like not a very few in perfect lyrics for a Gen Xer than what if there's no more fun to have. Um, and so Get Out, Get Out Right Now, as the uh, song opines. It's quick, it's two minutes and 17 seconds, badass riff. It's a little bit of punk. It feels like a bungle song. It really does. It, and when that is the opener, it doesn't feel like Faith No More. I hear there's, it. there's nothing in that song that has, there's no Faith No More-isms up to that point, which yeah. put me off. I don't know. It's just the first song. But it does have a lot of Black Flag and Dead Kennedys feel, which is where the band originally did come from in some of their riffing between yeah. Dan and and, yeah. uh, and Jim. That boom, 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 boom. It's like very Greg Ginn angular riffs, you know? There's no stomp. That's fair. That's fair. Um, there's 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 a good beat, but there's a, it's not a groove. I agree. Um, but it's a patent solo composition. Agreed. Second Agreed. song, Ricochet, which was one of the singles, is a Gould Borden patent team up, and is a little lengthier of a track. And uh, I'm fond of this song, and I, I feel like the album does open very strong before it gets a little squiffy in the words of Nicholas. So yeah. I don't know if you have any strong recollections of Ricochet. It's got great lyrics, great singing. Uh, it's the next one that really that really grabbed me. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh we're. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, like we could do a whole episode on this next song. Completely um, could. Rick, Ricochet is a solid song. It's all right. I mean, there's nothing in the first two songs that strike me as Faith No More. Strike me as anything other than just you know this kind of. It's like they spent the whole of the first four records or three records trying not to be just some other heavy band to drop these songs that are just some other heavy band. Right. Uh, and again, I am sure a lot of people at the time were like, this is the music that came from the producer of Nirvana and Slayer and Sonic Youth. But yes, it is. Um, and then... For something entirely different. Track yeah, three, now for something completely different. Completely different. Whatever the fuck this thing is. The, in the best possible way. One of the best okay. songs ever by this band. Mm. <laughs> okay. So first of all, I will say this. King for a Day is got a lot of baby-making music on it. It doesn't sound... You know, I, I don't think this has to do with Easy, but I think there's a lot of babies born now, alive now, that were conceived via nut to this song. Keithy and I have, if you take the Venn diagram. And Ovum, you know that. I, know just, that. just, just stop. If you, and you know what, never mind. Go ahead, because I'm this done. I'm not, I'm not even going to say it. This beer is really good. Continue. I don't fucking care. Go. Sorry. Uh, evidence is a love song. Is this? It is. I think it is. Okay. It to me is. It definitely has a lot more in common with some of Patton's other work that is not Faith No More, but it's also not yes. uncommon 
if you take this is the band that covered easy and this is the band that has edge of the world and this is the band that has underwater love without that same kind of aesthetic this is not that different a song except that it's like a yacht rock romantic funky guitar almost the chili peppers sorry yeah not yeah it's 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 and it's like okay it, it reminds me of if i'm gonna put this into futurama terms if 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 we care a lot is bender and epic is bender the offender when he's a pro wrestler evidence is the gender bender and it's just like, what the fuck are you doing? What is, in the video? Because again, YouTube. So when you listen to uh, a series of songs on YouTube as an album, when it hits a video, it pops up the video. And Mike Patton has this fucking ridiculous ass pencil mustache. And I'm sorry that I'm going on this much about a mustache, but one, I can't grow one. So fuck everybody that can, because I can't. And I and oh yeah, Keefe's got this. Grizzly Adams fucking Scott Mosier beard going on. What you want, Grizzly Adams? Scott can't and, even skate. <laughs> come on, and, he can't even. Come on, pass the puck. Well, covering the point. And he's got this pencil mustache. And the whole time he's making this, like, catfish face in the video. And I'm like, every time I look, it's like I'm seeing this catfish. And I'm like, it's fair. I, I don't know what you're not, doing not here. Not quite the full Kiedis or Joe Perry Dali, which would be horrible. No, it's a it's a pencil mustache. It looks yeah, like uh, looks like a character out of Robert Roberto Rodriguez's. Um, he looks like a night. Put him in a tuxedo, and he walks out of 1942 with a cigarette holder. Yes, John Barrymore. Um, evidence is to me wonderful. I may obviously not sitting well with you, but I probably would like the song a lot better minus the video. The video looks like it was shot in Cloud City if it were underwater. Yes. And I don't know what the, I don't know what the hell's going on and I'm like looking at this I'm looking at this video listening to this song and thinking this whole time I loved this guy. I loved these guys 2 years ago. What did you do? This is also how you do what you want to do and you don't I agree and you should do that. But that doesn't mean I got to keep coming. You don't have to keep coming. But this song, I uh, I love this song. It's a banger for me. And I love the singing. I love the crooning. Mike croons all over this thing. As much as he screams and wails, he croons. If you call this anything else, I'm probably in. Okay. It's kind of like Tony Martin, Black Sabbath. Yeah. Tony Martin, Black Sabbath, in and of itself, is pretty reasonably good. Except for Headless Cross, which was in cross purposes and... The one with I see that those are all crap, but it's not Black Sabbath though. It's some it's some uh, well, Keithy's gone. It's some other thing, and this is some other thing. It's not Faith No More as I remember them. So I listen to this and I go, it's kind of like they listen to the Humpty Dance too many times. Like they they listen to Sex Packets. And then they did Easy, and now they're doing like Parliament Funkadelic funk riffs, but the bass player doesn't know how to go pa-pa-pa-pa-pa, and there's no keyboards there to, to really thump I know, it. I, I know you didn't just insult the bass player in one of like his finest moments, but okay, fine. It's not a song for you. We'll just leave it there. Okay, fair. But I love, I love this song. Um, another 
awesome song that Faith and More fans love, but I have a feeling you also will not resent, you know, will not resonate with you. Oh, I am done with my positive comments. The Gentle Art of Making Enemies is the next song. This is, again, the front half to me is heavily loaded with bangers. This is another sort of Faith and More, loud, soft dynamics, you know, chill, lull you into a false sense of uh, security verse, and then a rah, explosion vocally and or musically um yeah so you know, sorry i'm you know, sorry i i did not like this record at all yeah that's fine that's fine we're gonna go through it the whole i listen time. though for 10 more set tracks to go you can dislike it Fuck. um so yeah these are majority of these are written by the core of billy puffy and mike um so gentle are making enemies is another one Star AD is another one. Just where is this weird, random Vegas jazz, this J- Vegas, you know, Elvis in Vegas jazz song coming from? I it's like getting a lobster roll at McDonald's. Why would, unless you're in Maine, in which case they use real Maine lobster. And it's 15 bucks, but it's worth it. That, that, that's how I feel about every song going forward. Fair enough. That's fair enough. Um... I'm sorry, I'm making serious, angry faces now. I I understand. I understand. Um, continuing on, uh, probably a lesser favorite of mine, not a bad song to me per se, but another lesser favorite is Cuckoo for Kaka, which is a little juvenile, not going to lie. Um, a lesser favorite. I was hoping you would at least pronounce this next one. Hang on, let me look it up. Uh, I, I have the track list. You know Spanish. You should know how to say this next one. Dame, dame dos segundos. <laughs> That's Portuguese. Sure thing. Carajo Voador. No. Is the seventh song on the album. It is a little more co-written between the guys. And, uh, you know, these middle tracks are not so strong to me. Just my personal... <laughs> The, the word is Caralo Boador. Great. It is, again, Portuguese, so I apologize yeah. if anyone in Brazil is listening because I don't speak Portuguese. My I can gosh, read it, but I don't speak it. Languages. He speaks French, Italian, Portuguese, yada, yada. There are some Spanish language versions of evidence on the bonus tracks. We'll get to it. We have to. Wait, um, the, the middle part of this album is fairly nondescript. Okay, I'd go with that. Which is not uncommon with any band. I mean, that's... But also, this is probably the longest stretch of non-top-tier tracks the band has had on a record. Could be the sequencing. There are. It starts off, for me, very strong. It ends very strong, and the middle is a little weak. We're, we're also talking about a band that is... It, it's, they're injured. They're, they're playing hurt, and, you know, their, their MVP yeah, is man. not... They're down two men, really. Well, Jim is out, so it doesn't matter. Jim's out. There's no official guitar player. Well, I'm going to say this. Trey, for what they asked of him, come in and write some songs with us. He's fine. For these songs that are more like Mr. Bungle than the Faith No More, you remember, Trey is the perfect guy. He's fine. He doesn't stay in the band. He's fine, but I'm not looking at this from the lens of, is this Mr. Bungle? I'm looking at this at the lens of Faith No More. 
Faith No More at this point has a very well-established brand, even with the oddity that was Angel Dust. That's true. And Angel Dust is bizarre. And compared to this, this is even more bizarre. No, it's not. It's an attempt at bizarre world, and they missed. They went straight into normality for the most part. I suppose. Um, it's I'm very sure. much of the time, and it's very much for that time. And I think it's kind of like watching Star Wars at age 25. You ain't going to get it if you haven't seen it when you were seven. Perhaps. Uh, Ugly in the Morning is next. I'm going to go forward. Go ahead. With Patton, Trey, and Gould on the writing and Patton's vocals and lyrics. Uh, Ugly in the Morning is a little step forward. I think it's a better song. It's, a, it's definitely a decent track. Uh, it's got some things in it that I like, some cool motifs and beats and grooves. Um... Nine is probably the song most people know the best from this album, which is Digging the Grave. Love the titles. Digging the Grave is metal as fuck. Uh, it has an incredible riff and vocal from Patton, including an elongated screaming section, very reminiscent of Surprise You're Dead, and Another Body Murdered, where Patton just wails that voice of his. Um, interesting lyrics, uh, phil more philosophical, whimsical lyrics, um, and Digging the Grave is basically, you know, again, the core three and the, the riff slams. This track was on Beavis and Butthead. This track was performed on Arsenio, Late Night with Conan O'Brien, Letterman. Like, this was like the single for the album beside Evidence and Ricochet. Do you not know the track at all? Not really, no. I mean, the, the, the first few really stuck with me. Especially evidence, because I don't know how you get that one out of your head once you've heard it. That That's going to live there forever, unfortunately. Um, the back half of this just becomes this mishmash of sameness for me. Nothing sticks out. It just, nothing is, it, it's, it's kind of like uh, Rock and Roll Over by Kiss. Rock and Roll Over has one good song, and the rest is filler for me. Look, I know this is a minority opinion, but it's my opinion. That's fair. And that's how that's how this album is. Look, I really want it. I was going to save this for later, but I really wanted to listen to this and go, "Holy shit, this is amazing!" I have punished myself yeah, for not listening before we did the series. You warned me. You're like, "You better hope King for a Day converts me," because it's the one I don't know, and I have a bad feeling I'm not going to like it. Those are exact words. On this podcast, on an earlier episode, this song, this album, fucking sucks. Okay, that's fine. I'm sorry, it, it, it sucks for me. There's just nothing here for me to go. Yeah, th those are my guys, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna continue forward. Then you please do. Take this bottle is next. More crooning, kind of a country song. Uh, this is the only. I would say take this bottle is another Patton and Ghoul. They were doing a lot of lyrical teaming up on this guy. Um, it's a pretty good song. The title track is next at 11, is the only composition by all members who played on this album, which is probably why it's the title track. I think this song is brilliant, and it makes sense why it's the title track. I did like this one better, great, admittedly. Great, great rhythm, great bass line, incredible, almost fretless fingerstyle jazz bass, um, incredible singing by Patton, emotionally weighty song. Got a good keyboard part, some really beautiful piano stuff. Very Rick Wright of, of Roddy. 
and uh, clearly why it's the title. Track. There's there's definitely a lot of a Rick Wright kind of touch yeah. on what Roddy because Roddy comes in the the way I understood it the album was basically done and they let him come in and just put some parts on right it's, so it's it's basically like him and the wall where everything was done and they're like okay Rick fine whatever do a little bit maybe we'll cut it maybe we won't. And so he, he's light touch. That's why we don't have the stomp. That's why we don't have the thumps. But he comes in and he plays an amazing, beautiful piano. Like in he's evidence, beautiful. evidence, he dropped an emotional bomb in the middle of that song that didn't yeah. fit, but it was lovely. He's a genius. Like, let's, he is. Let, like these guys are all kind of geniuses. And I, and I think this is the wrong venue for, for Spruance, unfortunately. But like, yeah. They're all geniuses, and Roddy is a goddamn genius. Like I, I love to interview him. I'm really hoping to talk to him and his his boyfriend about Man on Man because I'm really high on that project. Also, um, what a day is next, and it's probably the you know it's not weak, but it's a shorty. So there's not a lot there. Um, it's a solid track. The last to know, by the way, is a very interesting, good next to last track. Um, again, another Gould, Patton, Borden, and a. Uh, Gould, Spruance, Patton lyric. So Spruance got to do some lyrics for the first time here. I don't know much of his other lyrical stuff in other groups, but here he is. And then the closer, which I think is incredible and goes right along with evidence and take this bottle is Just a Man, which has like almost a Broadway show, Man of La Mancha, Dream the Impossible Dream, Cat's Memories quality to it for me. It's almost like, did Marvin Hamlish and Sondheim write this thing? This song is amazing and deeply overlooked to close the album proper. That's my opinion. Nick is making faces. I understand. I think you'll enjoy next week's album a lot more. I will go on to say, there are bonus tracks that go with this record that are worth talking about, including, I do. everyone knows, I respect their talent. I am not a fan of the Bee Gees. I loathe most disco music. There's about 10 good songs in the whole genre, and nine of them are I Will Survive by Gloria Gaynor. I'm not a Bee Gees fan, but... The best version of that song is I Will Survive by Tony Clifton. Perhaps, but I will also say that I started a joke, which is also the, the title of a greatest hits album by this band, uh, is an incredible cover. And I mean it sincerely. I saw them do it live, and I was harumphing, but it's beautifully done. Listen, the Bee Gees can do one thing well, and that's they can sing a song. Those dudes can sing beautiful voices. Patton incredibly on this. I don't know if Bottom does it on the record version, but on live, the two of them vocalizing together, I thought I was hearing the Bee Gees live, and that's a compliment. Um, there are two versions of evidence, one in straight-up Castilian Spanish and one in Portuguese. The Portuguese version is amazing. Again, this is a panty dropper, this song, to me. Um, Are you sure? Because I'm looking at Wiki. Now, Wiki's Wiki. Are you sure it's Castilian and not Argentinian Spanish? Uh, it could be Argentinian because they did they do very well. It's an Argentinian bonus track, so. Maybe. Uh, so they, I they, mentioned that because I speak both Mexican and Castilian Spanish. Well, well, slap me silly and call me Mary. There's also a couple of bonus tracks that are sort of leftovers, but some of them are interesting that I'm going to point out that you should check out. Uh, Absolute Zero is the Japanese bonus track, all written by Patton, not approved for the full record. 
Uh, Greenfields, I think, is not a, it might be a cover. I forget. I think it's an old school R&B song. Spanish Eyes is an original, I think, from the early days. Hippie Jam, I Wanna Fuck Myself. These are different things. Um, there were some interview tracks they put out with different guys in the band. I believe Hippie Jam was the one on um, the, the the first greatest hits, We Care yeah. A Lot. Yeah, some of these songs resurfaced later and on weekends. Some, not all. Not all of them. And then, so if, just to sum up this album... An interesting thing happened on the way to the forum. Trey does the album and is assumed that he's going to stay in the band. And then he's like, I have no intention of touring with you guys. They have a year of festivals and headline tours and everything to promote this record. And he's like, yeah, there's no way. I'm not going to do it. So they're like, oh, well, fuck me. What do we do now? You just wrote the record with us and played on it, and now you're out. So they, again, have no guitar player loathed the thought of auditions because they hated trying to replace Chuck so much. It was brutal for them. So they basically take Roddy's keyboard tech, Dean Menta, who is a name fans know, and he has gone on to other things. And Dean goes on tour with them for a year, but he's not really their guy. He's just the fill-in guy. Well, he, they tried to write with him. They tried to keep him. And it just... So they wrote some songs with him, and then Mike comes in. And they're like, he's like, no. Yeah. Well, he's just like, yeah, I just think like, you know, also if you've been intimately close to the band and you see in, in behind, you pull the curtain back and you see all the ugliness, you don't want to then be part of it even for money or a share of the band at that point. Um, by the way, this is like, let's just talk about this for a second. Like, you know, in the, ba- in the past, except for Kiss, if you were like a new guy in a band, they gave you a share of the royalties of whatever music you make with them. Right, now, as they should. Now you might be an employee, which is what's happening now because the you know to break up in corporations and fold people in and give them a share. Only Metallica is that generous and sincere because they definitely don't want to fuck it up after they fucked up with Jason, so they had to give this guy a million dollars. But Trujillo, but like yeah, so again they go on tour for this record this is definitely a less performing record than the others in terms of their critical and uh fan reception because this record is all over the place it is still beloved they are still proud of this record i think it's mostly three stars or less across the board except a couple of people from what i've seen in hindsight i do appreciate this record a lot more now than i did when it came out i do love digging the grave a lot and I love Ricochet, and I love Evidence, and some there are pretty much a few other decent songs on here, but it is definitely not the strongest. Most fans would say it's not the strongest. I'm sure there's people out there who will listen to this and be like, what are you hearing? This is my favorite. But again, if this is your favorite, your band is really bungle and not Faith No More. This is the I album. Know. This is the Faith No More album that was made for me. My good friend Danny. Hey, Danny, how's it going, buddy? Sorry I didn't play hockey with you last weekend, but it was 11 p.m. So uh, he makes fun of me routinely because I like the Misfit Toys. My favorite Metallica record legitimately, and not like weirdly, but legitimately is Lulu. My favorite Kiss record is Carnival of Souls. My favorite... Slayer record is Diabolus and Musica. I love the weirdness. I love it when bands get strange and do that thing they want to do. But this, however, the issue is, and I only learned this after I listened to it, so there's no, 
I don't read up on an album that I'm doing any of like this on or reviewing or whatever till after I've heard it. So this is not Faith No More. It's some of Faith No More, some other kids. It, and that, that's the problem. And it, it's when I say it sucks, I'm sorry. It doesn't suck. It really doesn't. It sucks oh, for you. Correct. It sucks for my listening experience. There's a lot of well-played, well-sung, well-performed, well-written tracks on this. But it's so deeply steeped in 1994 Part of it feels like they're trying to shy away from this metal thing that they've been lumped in with. Part of it feels like, wow, we're kind of pigeonholed into this kind of funky metal music, so let's not do any of that. And it just becomes a very strange listen for me. And it 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 never tickled my fancy. No song on this can I say, oh, I loved that one. That, you know, the rest of this is not so great, but this one track, I mean, none of it. I never heard anything that made me go, yeah. And I, I like, I know a lot of people love Mike Patton and a lot, and which I mean, completely deserved. The dude is fucking amazing. He is literally the kind of nut bar Picasso of the musical world. I mean, if the dude cut his ear off tomorrow, we'd all be like, yeah, that, that, that checks out. And, and that's how he is musically and vocally. And that's not what I want. I, I want the faith no more vibe. If, if it's your solo stuff. Yeah. Get crazy. Do wacky R and B lounge tunes, whatever. Okay. I get that. But, you know, it's it's like it's like Black Sabbath without the bass. It's not Black Sabbath. Okay, I, I you know it's hard to argue against that rationale. And again, I knew this was going to be polarizing and jarring. It was polarizing and jarring when it came out. As a fan, I love Angel Dust so much, and I still do. I listen to it the most. It is my favorite Faith and More record. It means is deeply meaningful to me from that time in my life. And this record came out, and I was like, what the shit. I have heard now fully through all the way the first four, right? We walked in and fate and, and introduce yourself was my favorite, still is. But that was gonna change. no, that's an amazing record. I mean, that that that's like a, an amazing moment in my, my childhood. There's you've got you're fighting nostalgia. You've got to do like you know you've got to hit fifteen instead of ten to, to, to knock it down. But I didn't expect to enjoy Angel Dust as much as I did. My my memory of Angel Dust is not does not run concurrent with the reality of Angel Dust. I'm gonna make a prediction for next week. Okay, we're gonna do album of the year next week and close the series. We're not going to. I might mention Saul Invictus a tiny bit at the end because I think it's an, an interesting, but like we're not gonna review the whole thing. Um, I think as much disdain and dislike as you had for King for a Day. I think that needle's going to go the opposite direction and you're going to love Album of the Year because it's a little more back to what you like about the band. That's my prediction. Tell me if I'm wrong at the top next week. Fair enough. I started listening to it and I need a palate cleanser. I, it needs it needs its own ear, fresh ears, especially after this, which you're like, I hate this. You need fresh ears. But I'm also going to tell you that I think Album of the Year is a grower. 
I hated this album as much as I hated Jethro Tull that Duncan and I did. Wow, that is a lot. It, did it's like that album? what did Duncan like that album? Yeah, Duncan likes prog nonsense, as he put it. Hey, I like it too. I, I just look. It sounded like the Moody Blues plus Dire Straits plus The Fix with a sprinkling of a flute. It, it, I it was am probably the only person on earth who thinks the Moody Blues is higher in the tier list than Jethro Tull. Look, I have no, legitimately, no strong feelings regarding the Moody Blues. Nights in White Satin, great tune. I mean, we've all heard that. But it, it's not the fact that it was, I'm not saying it's bad because it's Moody Blues. I'm saying it's bad because it wasn't Jethro Tull. Same kind of thing today. Uh, you have a brand. Yet there are times when I love it when bands go, fuck my brand. So I, I'm just a mess. I understand. This has been a rough week. This is probably not the most comforting record to have to listen to after the week we both had. But I will say, I do look back fondly now, especially at the high moments of Album of the Year. I think it is a very fun and great record at times. It is not a full representation of them. And I will also say, if you're interested in the rest of the Patton repertoire, all his other bands, this is a really good jump off because like his range of styles sung and performed and interpreted on this record will set you up nicely for all his random weird shit. He is a legitimate... I, I mean, he is the measuring stick. And, and I mean, that's the best way I can put it. He is a musical measuring stick. Where do you land against Mike Patton? You're never going to even, you're never going to catch him. You're never going to, you're never going to be, he's going to throw a shot put six inches farther than you at best. I mean, the best you're going to do is six. Shut up. I, I, I blanked and I went shot put. He, I'm trying to I'm trying to make this positive at the end, and you're just I get it. you're just not, peeking, I, just peeking. I'm not just like just just peeking. It threw me. It threw me. Go ahead, continue. And he's whipping that discus about eight feet farther than you're ever gonna get it. And if you get within eight feet of a discus of Mike Patton, you're amazing. And that's this guy. Mike Patton is the yardstick. Mike Patton is an amazing, amazing musical genius. I mean, there's no, and, and that's such an overused term, but it's, it, it legitimately describes this man. Now, genius does not always mean something you're going to enjoy. And as much as I hated this record, I have really enjoyed other things he's done. I'm not going to be that guy following Mike Patton everywhere he goes because he goes in weird places, man. That's my job. And I go all of them to all, every corner, every dark, musky, musty, soiled place. I'm not touching that shit. Is there anything else we need to say this week? Not about this record, no. All right, because we've gone a little bit long because somebody likes to slobber and somebody's trying not to interrupt. So you figure out who's who. Anything else? No, sir. All righty. It is the Glacier Musical Podcast. It does not play in Peoria. See you soon, Quad City. Go fucking Peoria.